You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. This is the beginning of the story, and I want to just bring this book to you as a way of encouragement, uh, because as we look around at our church and as we look around at our lives, Oftentimes, we are overwhelmed by the daunting, impossible nature of the things that we face. Amen? Have you ever been there? Where things just feel impossible and you don't know how you're going to make it through. All of the odds stacked up against you. And we are reminded in this passage of Scripture and in this whole book that God has a purpose for our lives and that purpose is accompanied by His promise to be with us all the way through. So we want to know what that purpose is for our lives. And, and I just bring this as an encouragement to you that hope is not lost. And whenever things seem fruitless in the kingdom or whenever the battle seems impossible to fight and especially impossible to win, that we can, we can be reminded that our God is with us and that He is fighting for us. We have a beautiful reminder of how that promise plays out here in Joshua chapter 2. One of the most beautiful stories before they ever enter the land. God essentially, seemingly sets a promise before them or a truth before them so they know how They are to enter the land, not just from a military standpoint, but ultimately from a spiritual standpoint. So if you have found your place there in Joshua 2, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And we'll read this chapter together. Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove. Or maybe your word, your Bible says Shittim to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come uh, here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men you have come, who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search, over, search out all the country. Then the, woman, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as, it happened as the gate was being shut, when, as, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for, may, for, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate 
Now, before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you, shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all they have. And deliver out, deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given the land, given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window For her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest your pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless, when you come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it was, or so it shall be, that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on your own head. And we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head, Uh, shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until pursuers, the, the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you've given it to us for instruction for rebuke, for correction. Lord, you've given it to us that we might become all that you desire for us to be. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and be our teacher. Lord, that we would surrender our lives to you in obedience. And God, that by your grace, that we would strive to carry out the things that we see here. May we see in Rahab, in these spies, who we are as the people of God. And may we turn to you 
and obey you with our lives. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So let's just begin with a question. Can we do that this morning? Because if you are uh, not a student of the Bible or maybe uh, you've not studied the Bible a lot in your time, um, you would come to this story. And if you're reading it honestly, I think that all of us would come away with the same question. It's the question that probably some of you even this morning have already asked. So let's just put it out on the table this morning and let it be what guides our work through this passage. Why in the world a scarlet cord? As we read through the passage, it's almost abrupt, isn't it? To come to that picture of tying a scarlet cord outside the window and then they'll see this scarlet cord. But why? Why a scarlet cord? Why pick that? How many of you have ever been shopping at Lowe's? All right. How many of you have ever bought lumber at Lowe's? As you go out the door, they've got these lines that are wrapped around and these red flags, right? How many of you know what those red flags are for? Some of you didn't use them, and that's why there's been so many. I'm just kidding. So anyway, you take that, that, that red flag, right, and you tie it to the back side of the board so that people don't run into the back of you because your, your vehicle is longer now. Or like some of us, it's sticking out the side if you drive a Toyota Camry. Uh, but anyway, and uh, blends in with the red car. At any rate, you know what the red flag is for, right? You see it driving down the road, you know what it's for. So why a scarlet cord? Notice that the writer of Joshua did not stop to explain himself. He didn't stop to tell us why a scarlet cord. He just kind of blended it into the narrative. And the reason that I believe he doesn't stop to tell us about the scarlet cord is because it would have been so obvious to the one reading this passage. But since we are so distant from the biblical world, it may come as a disadvantage for us. So I don't answer that question, but we're not going to answer it until almost the very end. So you tuck it away and we'll come back to it here in a few moments. One question that is not here in the text, one theme that we see that that just kind of stands out not only here, but in the whole book of Joshua, but certainly in this passage, maybe more pronounced than anywhere else, is this. The hope of redemption, even in the, in the midst, or rather, even in the most sinful of circumstances. The hope of redemption, even in the most sinful of circumstances. No question, this is the kind of circumstance that we see. Of course, approaching Canaan, the land of Israel, the land where they would ultimately dwell, was a land filled with foreign people and foreign gods and full of idolatry. And then certainly this one who they approach right at the very beginning of the passage, the one who is a harlot, a prostitute, she would be the absolute poster child of sinfulness in the ancient world. And so for the the story, we get this picture not of this sinful hopelessness, but rather this beautiful redemption that God was bringing, not only for the people of Israel, but ultimately for Rahab the harlot. For Mosaic Israel, you might think about it this way. It's a picture of redemption for them and where they are. The last place that we see Israel gathered, or last time we see Israel gathered at Shittim, or this place that is translated literally the Acacia Grove, that's what it means. The last time they were there was in Numbers chapter 25. And some of you will remember the story when they gave themselves to the 
Moabite women, the gods of Balaam there, and they prostituted themselves. And here is the nation of Israel with the opportunity to obey again. And they're given the the chance. And this time, of course, they do. Rahab's house would have been an inn or a tavern, a place where many men would come regularly and they would lodge and they would take advantage of her services. And yet these spies, everything in the story tells us, everything in the story shows us that they had nothing to do with that part of it. Rather, they were there with a purpose. Or you might think back to the sending out of the 12 spies that that Moses had sent out and the two come back and say, don't go into the land. The 10 come back and or rather the two come back and say, say, go into the land. The 10 come back and say, no, it's not a good idea. And they decide to stay out. They wander for 40 years and they're stuck there in the wilderness before they ever enter the promised land. And so this is an opportunity for Israel to redeem themselves. But it's also a picture of redemption for Rahab, is it not? One who'd spend her life in prostitution. One who'd spend her life in worship of foreign gods. All of the focus in the text leans toward Rahab, not toward the nation of Israel. Notice how all over the story, uh, or all at the beginning of the story, there is this kind of stumbling over the story, trying to get to it. It's almost like the writer of Joshua is so excited to tell the story of Rahab that he just wants to give you just enough choppy details so you'll get the picture. And so he gets to this story of Rahab, and here this, this harlot turns her life to the Lord. Redemption. Redemption. A prostitute. A prostitute who loved her, her own life and her own way of doing things, and she gave herself to the Lord. So in order to answer this question, we've got to see what happened in the life of Rahab. And I want you to see this picture of redemption in three different ways in the story. Three different characteristics of Rahab's redemption. Characteristic number one, I want you to see the faith of Rahab. Notice the faith of Rahab. Now, we've already talked about kind of a a background of what's happening here. Let's get down to verse 8 and 9 and notice with me. Now, before they lay down, before any of the spies lay down, they'd come to her house. They'd been lodged there. She had hidden them there. She lied about hiding them there. Verse 8 says that before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, and listen to what she says about their God. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to those two kings, the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. She's she's saying to these spies, I know who your God is. He is not the one that has been paraded around our town as the one that we can defeat. He is the one who holds absolutely all authority over all things. And I am scared death is confession of his authority, specifically his authority over nature. We see that he's the authority over all natural things. Verse nine tells us, I know that the Lord has given you given you the land, the terror and the inhabitants of the land are all faint hearted because of you. I know that this is the case. 
Why? Because God is in all authority over all things. She confessed his authority. He is sovereign. There is nothing that the king of Jericho could do to stop God if God saw fit to take the land. He is sovereign in authority. I know that God. So she confesses the authority of God. Then she confesses the holiness of God. Look at verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Why? Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What is she saying? Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is an indication of the proper name, the personal name of God in the Old Testament. They come into Canaan and there are hundreds of gods that, that she could worship. So when she makes the statement, Yahweh, Jehovah God, that God, the one who's your God, he's God over everything. He's Lord over all of these things. He's holy. There's none like him. We sang about this this morning. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is above all things. There is no one like our God. She confessed the holiness of that God. And this is a big thing because we know from all of these other passages, Exodus 23, Exodus 32 and 33, 34, Deuteronomy 11. You could just go down the list that these Canaanites had millions, multiples, I mean, just bunches of gods. They made everything a God. It's kind of like the culture in America today. We have a way of turning anything into a God. It may not look like a graven image, but it looks more like Benjamin Franklin on a piece of money. Or it may look like success in a career. Or it may look like any number of other things. We make gods out of everything and we worship those things. We give our lives to them. We spend our time there. We... We are we're worshiping false gods. And this is where she is. And she says, no, I'm going to worship God alone. Rahab stated that Israel's God, Israel, Yahweh, this God is God alone. And then she confessed her own need for God. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house. Now, she wants to exchange the act of kindness, but in essence, she is saying, listen, I don't have any ability to save myself. I need your help. I need you to go before this God of yours and tell him, please, please save me. Please save me. Oh, isn't that good news this morning that we have a God who responds to the plea of a person who is helpless and sinful and needs a savior. And so God did. God would, in fact, save Rahab. We know how the story ends. We've already read it throughout the the rest of, of this chapter, and we'll read it some more as we follow forward. She confessed her own need for God. It was an act of personal surrender. She wasn't just trying to save her own skin. She was acknowledging that this God whom she heard had heard all about had all authority. He was God alone, and she needed him if she was going to be saved. Isn't that a statement of faith? The faith of Rahab. If you're not convinced, Hebrews tells us. Verse, chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab had faith. I want you to know this morning that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without trusting in God alone, there is no salvation. And Rahab knew this. She trusted him. Now, what about the lie? That's troubling, isn't it? So why 
if she really believed God, did she lie and tell the king, oh, I don't know who they are. By the way, just kind of a side note, a harlot's house is one of the only places they could have gone to kind of blend in. Why? Because there were people in and out all day long. And it was the best place to go to hear the news of the land, but they remain unstained by sin. So why did she lie that they weren't there or that that they had already left and that she didn't know who they were? She knew exactly who they were. That's why she hid them on the roof. Well, not everything about what Rahab did is praiseworthy. She didn't go about everything in the right way. But that doesn't take away from the truth of the passage. It actually builds the truth of the passage. Why? Go to the next characteristic of Rahab. Secondly, notice the forgiveness of Rahab. Not from her, but for her. The forgiveness that she experienced. Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14 says, So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of, uh, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. That's not just kind of a statement of what might happen. That's oath language. We swear this is what's going to happen. This kind of a promise is a difficult promise to make if you know the history of the Bible. You immediately begin to think about the violation that they are seemingly committing of God's commands. What were those things? Don't enter into relations with the Canaanites. And don't make any promises with them. In fact, if you think about Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20, God gave an explicit instruction about not entering into any treaties with the people of the land of Canaan. And yet, isn't that what they just did? We'll see at a few chapters later over in chapter 9, we'll see this picture of a treaty with the Gibeonites, and it didn't turn out very well for Israel. They did enter into treaties with the people of the land. Huge pitfall in the life of Israel. All throughout the book of Judges, you see their examples and consequences of not driving out all the Canaanites. Why? Because they weren't to have relations with them. They weren't to get mixed up with them. And yet continually they did. So what of Rahab? Well, the story is different. The story is different, isn't it? The big difference is that Rahab confessed faith in Israel's God. That's the difference maker. When you make a profession of faith, In the God of heaven, you no longer bear the marks of what you once were. You now bear the mark of the king, not the king of Canaan, not the king of Jericho, but the king of Israel, God Almighty. So she confesses God. And in essence, she's casting her lot with Israel's gods, not Israel's God, not the Canaanites gods. She's saying, I'm trusting in him. In effect, she's no longer a Canaanite. In effect, She is a part of Israel. Now, that is big. That is huge because it is a powerful feature of the story of Joshua. If you read Matthew's account of the lineage of Jesus, this is right at the beginning of Joshua. And so right at the beginning of Matthew, one of the people that are listed in the lineage of Jesus is who? Rahab. I would say she's forgiven. Not only is she saved from the imminent destruction that is coming her way, but every listen, there's no more talk of her harlotry anywhere. Now, she didn't confess that. 
But certainly she repented of that. She's following after. She's saying, I'm going to give my life over to Jehovah God. I'm going to serve him. And as a result of her repentance, she is clearly forgiven. Everything that was on her slate has been wiped off. That is good news this morning. Quality of her redemption is that she has been forgiven. And then notice, don't miss this before we move on to the next characteristic. She was deserving of the death that was coming her way. And yet God said, no. (laughs) Not because she somehow deserved something else, but as we're going to see in a moment, he put his mark on her and she was forgiven. Hmm. She was in effect repenting and turning to the Lord. There's a third characteristic I want you to see this morning. And that's the favor upon Rahab. You see, it's not enough for a person to confess faith in the Lord. Forgiveness does not come unless God does something. We see these kind of backwards in the text only because it's a narrative. But God does something for Rahab that equates to her forgiveness. Watch this. So as you're reading through the passage, she lived in a wall or on the wall or however you read read the passage. We know that she was let down. And isn't it interesting that as they come to the wall, everything is going to be destroyed. We'll read about this a little bit later, but they walk around that wall and that wall comes falling down. And that's just a really cool story. But don't forget who lived in the wall. Only God can destroy all of the things of our past and all of the sinfulness of this world and yet preserve his people. Why? Because he places his favor upon them. She remained safe in the wall. Now watch this. We see this picture of her letting the, 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 the spies down from the window and they let them down. And then they have this, this other conversation again, kind of reiterating the things that were already said. And the spies say, hey, by the way, take this scarlet cord and you put it above your window. That way, whenever we get here, we'll know where you live and don't go outside now. Don't go outside because then your blood's on your own hands. No, you stay inside the house, you and all your family, and this scarlet cord will be the sign. And we will, we'll see that scarlet cord and we will, we will, we'll preserve your life. Hmm. She lived in a wall and this was the sign. It was a sign of what? Well, first of all, she had to initially obey that. Couldn't just happen. She had to actually tie the cord up out there, didn't she? She did. We know the text tells us that she did. Then she had to obey and stay in the place where it was. She didn't obey. If she didn't stay underneath that that cord, she would be lost. So she continued to obey, continued faithfulness, and it's just a testimony to her life. But the, the cord is more than just a sign. In essence, it is a symbol of provision. God was doing something On behalf of Rahab. It's interesting, again, that there is no explanation of the cord. And I think it's because it would be so plainly obvious to the reader. Where had Israel heard about a symbol that was similar to this? First place you might think of is Genesis 38. And there's really only two, by the way. 
Genesis 38 is the story of Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law. You remember she wrapped a scarlet cord around her wrist when one of the twin boys was being born. And the son was Zerah and he was remembered in the genealogy of Jesus. So this picture of salvation and redemption Rahab and Tamar, by the way, are linked together as being two of the women in the passage in Matthew 1. They're linked together. The two, two of the four women that are in the story of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. Both of them, by the way, were foreigners. Both of them social outcasts. Both of them prostitutes. And both of them in possession of a scarlet cord. That is too much in common to ignore. God was working in an unexpected way in Tamar's life and certainly now in Rahab's life. Then you think about another story. Because for Rahab, that's kind of in her house. You think about her own little world, personal nature, what God is doing in her life. The same way God worked for Tamar, God was working for Rahab. And praise God for that. But what of the spies? What of the people of Israel that were coming to Jericho and them seeing the scarlet Court. Passover. Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites were there in bondage and the angel was coming to kill all of the firstborn and they were told to do what? Paint blood on their doorposts. A scarlet cord. A sign for the Lord as He passed by that they were not to take these lives. And Rahab's scarlet cord was to be a sign for the Israelites as they entered into Jericho, not to destroy it. Furthermore, in both cases, those being protected were not under any circumstances to do what? Leave the house. Oh, these are too many coincidences to ignore. It's almost as if the reader of this passage immediately begins to think about those two stories and says, oh, God is doing something for Rahab and God is doing something for the people of Israel. And it's much the same as the redemption in both stories. Rahab happens to benefit from this particular redemption. It's like the flag on the backside of that lumber piece that you're carrying from Lowe's. Everyone knows what's happening and now we, as we read this passage, it stands out like a, like a great big banner saying, Redemption is here for you. So what is the scarlet cord saying to us? Because when I asked the question at the beginning, my question as I approached the Bible, yes, is what does the Bible mean by a scarlet cord? But that inevitably has to come to a second question, doesn't it? What does the scarlet cord mean for me? What does the scarlet cord mean for me? And I think that as you're the reader, maybe Rahab even reading on this story later, as you're the reader thinking about this story in the position that, was, that Rahab was in, I think there is one thing for you to remember and one thing for the people that we're approaching to remember, and both of them apply to us. Here's the first one. Never forget the Rahab within you. Never forget the Rahab 
within you. Never forget that when you look back and you think about your story, that it wasn't any act or anything you did in your life that caused God to save you. It was only because you tied that scarlet cord over your life in obedience to Him. And the scarlet cord pointing back to Passover in our, in our lives now points to Jesus Christ. He is the one who shed His blood for you. And you were not saved by anything in your own merit. You were saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Don't ever forget the Rahab within you. Let us not forget that we all once were Rahab. Now, you may not have lived a life of prostitution, but there were hundreds of things in your life that did not please God. And for some of you here this morning, there are things in your life right now that are not honoring to God. Some of you don't need to remember the Rahab that was in you or that remains in you in some ways. Some of you right now are like Rahab. You are running from the Lord, trusting in a hundred other things, and you need to repent and come to Christ. Only Christ can save you. Only His precious blood. And so the scarlet cord points back to Passover, but it points to our new Passover in Christ. And that in the blood of Jesus Christ, God will pass over all of our sins. We will be utterly forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And it will be His God who places His favor, His mark upon our lives as His children. That's good news this morning. Amen? So remember the... Rahab within you, secondly. Never forget the Rahabs before you. We're going to come to Acts chapter 15 tonight and see this kind of in a different angle. But if you're the nation of Israel and you're approaching the place that God has promised you, the first thing you're ready to do, listen to me carefully, is to tear down everything that stands in your way. Right? That's what the whole book's about. Military conquest. We're going to destroy everything. All the Canaanites, they got to go, because that place is ours. And God says, ho, 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 wait just a minute. There's a Rahab in the city wall. That Rahab, I'm going to save. I'm going to lead you to her. When you get there, I'm going to save her. And that's what God did. He saves Rahab. And I think sometimes we get so quick to look around at the culture around us and to condemn all that is going on and we forget that there are Rahabs among them. Rahab was a foreigner. Foreshadowing the mission of God to the Gentiles, by the way. This would be something that happened continually throughout the history of Israel. In church, there are people who do not look like us. People who are in diff across ethnic boundaries. People who are across social boundaries. And it is a picture that God desires to save them. There's a mission in our town. And we have a tendency to look around and say, all is lost. There is no hope. And yet there was one in the story, one in Jericho, and God wanted to save her. And I would say to you this morning that there are Rahabs in our town that God is going to save. 
Sometimes we're so guilty of pride. We're so quick to bash the culture around us on a number of different things. We're ready to beat the walls down. But if we're not careful, we'll forget that God is trying to save people in the same culture that we're trying to destroy. Can you believe they stayed with that harlot? Can you believe it? Sounds like some of the gossip conversations I hear today. Can you believe that person was in our church? Can you believe that person acts that way in the world? Sounds a lot like the hypocrites of the New Testament, doesn't it? He eats with sinners. We're so guilty of pride. We're also guilty of fear. We look around and we say it's impossible. No one's coming to faith in Christ. We get to the wall of Jericho and we say, that thing's not coming down. I, we can walk all day long. It's hot out here. I need an Aquafina. Somebody get me one. I'm not doing this anymore. It's not worth it. And so they could have huddled up there in the wilderness under a tree and enjoyed their shade. But because of their fear, watch this now, listen to me. Because of the fear, they never would have seen the flag. The scarlet cord waving in the wind. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in being afraid of the culture that we've been called to reach that we don't see God's trying to save the culture. Right? But what if we really believe like the people of God that there is a scarlet cord in places in our culture? You see, the picture I want to take maybe a little bit more Freedom with the text and suggest to you this. That the scarlet cord or the scarlet thread was not just a symbol on a wall, but rather a thread that was running throughout history. That even though the people of God were to conquer the nation, there was yet one who was a part of the remnant that God was going to save. And it's not by accident, I don't believe, that that cord was played out in Matthew chapter 1 as a line of lineage. You see, God has been doing something from the very beginning of time and He will do it until His Son returns. And that is He is redeeming a people unto Himself. The picture of redemption is not only here in Joshua chapter 2. This is just kind of a window into it. But it has been going on throughout all of history. And God is desiring to redeem people for Himself. And what He's saying to this nation is, you see that scarlet cord? Rahab, you're going to be saved. And Israel, I'm going to use you to take the gospel to her. And we get that chance. Is that not good? So why a scarlet cord? Praise God for the scarlet cord. Because God has placed us in this moment in time for His purpose, with His promise, and we get to take a gospel that can save anyone from here until the very uttermost. So will you believe it to be true? What the scarlet means for you this morning, if you are a believer, is that there always is a mission. You have a mission to take the gospel to the world. And what the scarlet cord means to you if you've never trusted Christ this morning, if you find yourself in Rahab's position this morning, is that there is hope. If you'll turn 
and confess by faith Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, we want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And some of you need to turn and trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. So in just a few moments, when we stand, I want to invite you to step out of where you'll be standing, to come down this aisle and look me in the eye and say, Pastor, today I need to be saved. Today I need to trust Christ as my Lord, Savior of my life. I've been waiting, I've been resisting, but I'm ready. Today I'm going to obey Him. I trust in His cross. I trust that He was raised to life for me and that His blood alone will save me. And so I give, give Him my life by faith today. That's you. You're willing to make that confession before the Lord if you'd come and say, Pastor, that's me. That's all you've got to do. Come and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to lead you. Show you how to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith. Others of you in this room, there's Rahab's all around you that you've been called to reach and you're not active and you need to be. You need to be looking for the scarlet cord. Where is God at work? And joining Him there, as Henry Blackaby used to say. So where are you working in your life with God? Bring Rahab's to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So all across the room, as we stand, I'm going to pray. Lisa's going to sing and we're going to talk about this marvelous Savior Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender our lives to you. What an incredible love you displayed for us. Today we surrender our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.